Hola, uh. and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're back from a little break. You've been on holiday, as always. My rare day off, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, you've been in Spain. I've been in Spain visiting my parents. And it's been lovely. And it's been lovely. And we're back with a Spanish movie. And they say hello, by the way. I forgot to say. Oh, so. well, I'll say hello to them as well. They're lovely. Love your parents. Yes, well, they love you too. Uh, good. <laughs> um, and uh, we've just been to see Pedro Almodovar's latest film Pain and Glory which you've already seen a little while ago in Argentina yes and which I keep kind of naming Hope and Glory after the John Borman film and of course they they, they, they don't resemble each other at all well I, mean, I suppose you know it's, it, they do in the sense that they're both about memori- memories of childhood I suppose um, but anyway, yes, this is the second time I've seen it. I saw it in Argentina, uh, and I thought it was like fantastic. I've seen it again. I think it's even better. It worked with the audience in Buenos Aires. It worked with the audience here. I mean, you could you know just feel the audience react to it and kind of you know. And I just I loved it even more. Yeah, um, I, the first time I've seen it, and I think I've only seen one of. One other of Amadeus' films, which is um, Julieta, his last. Right. Yes. I don't think I've seen all about my mother. I think I'm sure you've shown a clip or two of it when we were at university. But yes. I don't think I've watched the whole thing. Well, um, it's a pity that you haven't seen. You know, because I, I really do think that. Um, well, a I do have a very special and individual kind of relationship to his work. He's, he's his work has been meaningful to me on a personal level. But that aside, I also think he is one of the great directors, you know, of the last 40 or 50 years. Um, and his his work kind of, um, well, I think it's gotten better. He's gotten more and more technically proficient. Uh, this film is a marvel of narration, actually, mm. you know, uh, and in some ways very similar to what Bad Education does. But I think... What this does is even more complex and more seamless, right? Just, you know, the way that the story is told, the way that it moves from the past to the present, the different points of view, mm. how you're giving the information that you're given, right? So kind of, you know, um, yeah. So anyway, I think he's one of the great filmmakers. Um, and also, unlike other filmmakers, his work as it unfolds gets richer and richer by being self-referential. Yeah. Yeah? By kind of, you know, so when you're watching this film, you know, which I think, I, I don't know, but I, I, I think everyone um, will appreciate. You don't, you don't need to have seen his other films in order to appreciate it or get it. On the other hand, if you have seen his other films, then it becomes even greater, even more beautiful. You can see you know, how you're in communication with this consciousness that is Almodovar's, right? That, you know, it's a, it's a world uh, that he's describing uh, uh, and it kind of it gets richer by kind of being reinforced or rhyming or being in dialogue with bits of his, you know, all of the rest of his films. He's a filmmaker who has a reputation for making films about himself and... It, or, or kind of inspired by his life in very personal ways and it's 
referred to very very specifically here with the Salvador Mayo, the uh, director character played by Antonio Banderas, um, being clearly uh, sort of a, a, an analog or a version uh, of Almodovar through which he's kind of speaking or referring to himself. But particularly, I'm thinking of the scenes with his mother when when she's old and she's dying, and she talks about how the people in our village don't like you making films about us. They think you, they, they think you talk, to, talk about us as bumpkins. Yes. You know, and, and we're not like that. And he says, no, no, I have nothing but respect for you. And then she, she mentions the word autofiction. Yes. And he's like, where'd you get that from? She says, yeah. I read it in an article. <laughs> in an interview about, with you. That's right. That's it. <laughs> um, so the film, so the, the film kind of uh, makes a joke, but also kind of the, the reference... To that, I think it's, it's very, very knowing and very, very self-referential. And the film, as you say, is kind of doing it all over. So this is kind of a spoiler. You see all of these um, flashbacks intercut with the uh, kind of contemporaneous story mm. of Salvador as a child with his mother, played by Penelope Cruz. And right at the very end, the final shot of the film reveals that these flashbacks aren't, in fact, flashbacks. They are the film that Salvador is now making about his childhood. And that you are now seeing. Yeah. So... Uh, I mean, it's a wonderful little reveal, and I thought it was absolutely lovely. Well, actually, it's the same reveal that you get in his previous most autobiographical film, which is Bad Education. Right. Which, yeah, in which kind of, you know, just before... But there it was just before the movie ends. You realize um, you're in a film studio. But That's it here. This is the last shot in this film. Yeah, I know. This yeah. is the last shot, but in the oh, other film... It was earlier. It was earlier. Right, so... <laughs> You know, there's a reveal that it's a film within a film, and then stuff happens. Right. Um, but actually, I was I was mindful in this film of, you know, how the work connects. For example, one of the songs was by Alaska, who is, you know, who was uh, uh, the star of his very first film, Pepe Lucy Bomb. She was one of the stars. Antonio Banderas appeared, you know, from his second film, Labyrinth of Passion. It was Antonio Banderas' first film. And the first that he did with Almodovar, and then they went on, on to do a whole series of them. Uh, so many of his films have been about film directors, yeah. So Law of Desire, and then of course Broken Embraces, which you know calls back on women on, on the verge of a nervous breakdown. The re-edit of that film that was meant to be nervous women on the verge of a nervous breakdown is part of it. Uh, Chavela Vargas, the singer you know, is kind of used in um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. This thing about the neighbors, you see that in Time Me Up, Time Me Down when they go into the country. And you also see that actually, I think, in The Flower of My Secret. His real mother appeared in, you know, in his films until she died, really. So, you know, this whole thing about the, yeah, the director's yeah. mother in that actually makes you recall his real mother appearing in films like, you know, What Have I Done to Deserve This? Or, uh, um, you know, The Newsreader in High Heels, which she played. And actually some of the shots, you know, these shots of typing, right? You know, they recur throughout his films. Yeah, his films are so much about, about telling stories, but also about writing, right? Uh, and then, of course... There have been like uh, video essays done about the way that he uses art, uh, and in this film in particular, you know, it was highly publicized before that the director's apartment is in fact an exact reproduction of his own apartment in Madrid. Is that true? That's true. Right. Yeah, 
So, you know, it's kind of, it's hardly a secret, right? Mm. Um, so, I loved it. I loved it as cinema. I loved the way that, you know, so, so, uh, um, film, for me, I always say this, but I feel it's true, it's so great because it calls on all you know and you never know enough, yeah, to kind of fully grasp the great films. But Almodovar is someone who consistently uses, you know, language, image, music, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, art, painting, right? Like, you know, in this things he's got, he's reading Fernando Pessoa's poems, right? So what he's reading, he's underlining, and it becomes kind of part of the narration of the film. Yeah, he's got books thrown around. So, you know, Antonio Lopez, for example, the Spanish painter, is one of them. He uses clips within clips. So in this one, you know, it's, um, it's uh, uh, very telling that he refers to Elia Kazan's, um, I forget what the title of the film is, the one with Natalie Wood and Warren Beatty. I think the film is 1962. It's obviously a film that marked him because he also refers to it in What Have I Done to Deserve This? Splendor in the Grass? Splendor in the Grass, yeah. Which is about, a, you know, uh, uh, Natalie Wood has kind of like a sexual awakening and then, you know, because it's forbidden, it drives her mad, really, which you can see, you know, there's an element of that in this film, yeah, because mm. it's also about, you know, a child's kind of sexual awakening in ways that he doesn't understand. Yeah. The first desire. Yes. As the title of the film becomes at the end. That's right, you know. And I think isn't Amadovar's production company It's called the Desire. Or that's El, right. El Desire, right? Yeah, which harks back to the very first film he he produced independently, which is The Law of Desire, yeah? Yeah. So, so this thing about desire, uh, and desire always being out of reach and incomplete and ungraspable and so on, that's also a theme in the film, and I think it's kind of very beautifully, very beautifully handled. There, there are moments that the film had me kind of in tears, really, you know, because mm. it's it's also a film about sadness. Yeah, it's I mean, that first image of Antonio Banderas in the pool, kind of underwater, right which is almost like abstract in some way because, you know, I mean, it's very concrete, obviously, it's Antonio Banderas as the character, but also he's got this bushy underhair arm that's kind of almost like spreading all out, yeah? Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if you noticed, that. it creates an incredible image, yeah. really. Um, and he's so great in this, Antonio Banderas. And of course, the first time you hear his voice, the sound of the voice is of someone tired of life, depressed, sad, just the sound, just the mm. way he speaks his first lines, like weary, right? Mm. You know, um, yeah. That's certainly what you get from his voiceover. Yes. Yeah, that's, uh. the, that's the tone he strikes in his voiceover. Yeah. And it, uh, the film, it's, it's also about aging and, yes. and reflecting on your past. And in that respect, it's very similar to Julieta, yes. in which Julieta kind of, I think she goes back to her old apartment in Madrid when she's kind of a middle-aged woman mm. and then writes about her past mm. and the people in it and so you see these sort of so as I recall it I only saw it the once but you had kind of different timelines intercut in that but it was all related to what she was writing mm. her memories and in and in this he doesn't exactly write about his memories although things that he has written about his past um, and his, his kind of experiences do come up particularly in the um, the text the uh, addiction yes text um, 
but it's all about it's all about his past coming back. So right at the start, it's this kind of chance meeting with chance is great in films. Well, actually, it mm. struck me this, there's a chance meeting with this woman who he'd worked with before, this actress, who then speaks to him about uh, this actor that he formerly worked with. Yeah, um, and that by. actress, sorry, just to interject, mm-hmm. is Cecilia Roth, who played Cecilia in Labyrinth of Passion, and who played the mother in All About My Mother, right? So it's like you have all of these strands of continuities, right? Through the use of music, through the use of shots, through the use, the casting of particular actors, right? Yeah. So uh, he meets her by chance in in the sort of hotel lobby or something, and they have this conversation about a film that he'd made thirty two years ago, uh, with um, an actor called Alberto Crespo, who's played by Azie Etiandia. Mm. Hope I'm pronouncing that about right. Well, you're not, but it doesn't matter. It's about as well as an English person could do. Well, go on, you do it. You're Spanish. Well, I I don't have the name in front of me, so, and I can remember. Okay, it's about the third or fourth one down. Um. So Asier Echandia. I was seventy-five percent there. He's he's fantastic, and he's he's an actor who clearly they, they well as you learn they had a kind of falling out on making of the film, um, Salvador directed him in a certain way that he didn't really pay attention to. He played the character in a different way and it took him a long time to to come to terms with that. Um, they, I love that. I love that they attribute that difference in interpretations to drugs. Yeah, mm. That, you know, the character was one who took cocaine and was lively and happy and light. And in real life, the actor playing him took heroin. So, you know, yeah. brought a gravity <laughs> to the performance. <laughs> <laughs> And the, and the film now is uh, is considered a uh, a classic. There's a wonderful line. It's almost a throwaway line, but it's the way that the way that Salvador says they think it's a classic now. Yeah. It, which kind of made me think about how like how a creator thinks about their work. I mean, you kind of we hear creators talk about their work, and and they don't think about it in the same way that audiences do. I think audiences want to go back to films like. Apocalypse Now, whatever it might be, like the classic from years ago, and say that's your finest work. And you know, the director will be saying, "No, no, the film I made yesterday is my finest work. I forgot about the thing I made thirty years ago." Well, filmmakers often speak about you know the films that were least appreciated as you know being their orphans, being their favorites. Yeah, the ones that they feel yeah. they really you know that expresses them well, but that somehow did not have a success with audience or critics or whatever. Yeah, so Salvador obviously has a different relationship to this film than the audience does because he he says, oh, they think it's a classic now, and obviously his relationship is one of he he has this sort of grudge that he holds about about not getting the performance that he wanted. Out of but Alberta. he also admits that he saw it on television that was very good. So that's right. He talks about recently I've seen more in the performance. Than, yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but the thing is that that's a chance meeting, and then that chance meeting leads to this reconnection with this old actor who he hasn't seen in a very very long time. There's also this chance thing about this the, the, the drawing that the guy in the town that he lived with, the, he, he and his mother when he was very young moved to this, this sort of series of caves which houses had been built in and one of the people in that town he kind of became friends with and taught how to read and that guy drew a picture of him, that shows up later purely by chance, yeah. it's the thing that shows up in a catalogue and it, that's me, you know, and um, the idea that this kind of happens from out of nowhere, I think sometimes it's difficult... It, I think sometimes Western cinema doesn't really accept that. I think in Western cinema, you kind of you have the chance thing right at the start of like the meet cue where cut the characters meet, but everything after that in a story has to make absolute sense, has to has to make contextual logical sense. Like this happens, therefore this, therefore this, therefore this. 
and I love th- I love that it just makes so much sense and it's easy to accept here that this thing just shows up and a thing from his past from his past shows up and just takes the story in a slightly different direction again. I remember reading Buñuel and he was saying and and Octavio Paz on Buñuel, the the Mexican writer, talking about the importance of chance in um, the work of Luis Buñuel. Yeah, and you can see how interesting it is in a way to compare the kind of cinema that is like classic Hollywood because classic Hollywood cinema is a cinema that makes sense of the world that gives you largely an orderly view of it you're always orientated geographically the story is always told in ways you know that the spectator can understand it right you know, mm-hmm. the cutting is in particular ways so that you make sense of all of these things, right? Important things are often repeated so that you get it, right? And actually, kind of, life is not like that. Life is full of chance happenings, Yeah. <laughs> right? And kind of, you know, things that don't even make sense in retrospect, right? Like kind of, you know, you go to England to do an MA and you end up staying the rest of your life there and it's not planned and it's, you know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's the one thing, the, the thing with the, that, that painting is the one true element of chance because they talk in the car about where, how did this happen? How did it end up in this flea market? Oh, we just happened to come across it and, you know, uh, fate or God or whatever it was decided that it finally found the person it was meant for. But the other things do have context built in where, you know, the film is 32 years old, it's having this, this, uh, 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 Re, um, ha- the, word, the, the, film, the film is being shown as part of a season at the Spanish uh, Cinematheque, the Cine de where I was just last week, <laughs> uh, paying my homage to the cinema itself and to Almodovar, because that particular cinema, the, the Cinematheque in Madrid, the Cine de reappears in many of his films, mm. right? So uh, there's uh, very famously in Talk to Her, there's a whole scene of the shrinking lover done as a silent film, you know, which is kind of imagined as a film scene at the Cine Doré, right? So they're having a season... Restoration, that's the word I was thinking of. Yeah, the, the film, the negative has been restored and they're showing it as part of a season mm. of uh, films and they've been asked to do a Q&A. Yeah, so that, so, so that leads to him reconnecting with uh, Alberto, the actor, that leads to this kind of slightly developing developing relationship between them. That leads to Alberto discovering the text, um, the addiction, the addiction on uh, Salvador's computer when Salvador is uh, zoned out on heroin. That leads him to saying, I, "I want to perform this. I have to perform this." Eventually, he lets him, and when Alberto performs this, an old flame of Salvador's. Um, happens to see it by chance. He happens to be in Madrid, mm. but there's a, but again, there's a little bit of context built in. He recognises the, the name of the actor. He met him two or three times back in the past when they were making that film thirty years ago. So there's a reason that he went to see that show in particular. But it is still one thing leads to another, and the, and just these elements of chance built in, and you end up with this scene where Salvador and uh, what's the fellow's name, uh, Federico, Federico, uh, reconnect. Which was a, a, an amazing scene. That was it's, so beautiful. These, these these guys were lovers for three years, and they, it's this reconnection of old friends and old lovers and people who just haven't seen each other in thirty years, and it's magical. Yes, it the, feels so true you yeah. know, to one's experience as well, you know, of kind of of reconnecting just with with old friends. Yeah. And I love the colours 
in that scene that it be it's it's geometric and vibrant like the the door of the lift is this bright red and the, the walls are kind of a bright blue mm. and and there are these clashes of really bold colors as they like it kind of enlivens mm. the, the world when they come back together and it's, it's wonderful and they there is a there's a knowingness in the perform i mean the performances in that scene are just the 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 chemistry that their two have federico is played by leonardo Sparaglia Sparaglia was an Argentinian star and that that has to be my favourite scene in the film as you say it feels so true to life and it feels so beautifully organic how the conversation shifts and moves between them for me there are so many things though again you know they might be kind of I mean here's where an element of autobiography I suppose comes in Um, the opening scenes with the women doing the washing I mean, that reminds me of my childhood, you know, certainly when I was young, kind of, you know, that's the way that women did the washing. They went to the river, you know, and they did their wash and they hung it out in the sun, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, and I suppose for Spanish audiences, it has a special significance because the song that the women um, begin to sing is an old, a very famous old Lola Flores song, yeah, Atubera, By Your Side, yeah. Uh, which is which they begin to sing, and it's it's you know it's basically a woman saying that she'll be by her man's side, you know, uh, uh, until she dies. So um, and and if you build that into the mother and son relationship, because in a way that's what you see throughout the rest of the film, mm. you see a mother and son kind of being together until she dies, yeah, and you know and having a relationship and a relationship that's that's you know that's very loving, but at the same time also you know in that there's uh, a tension in it. yeah in that kind of peasant way it's not a tension but it's very plain spoken you you've mm-hmm. been a bad son she she tells him mm-hmm. right and she doesn't tell him in anger or rancor or bitterness or as a way of hurting him right yeah yeah she just tells it to him as a fact <laughs> also she does that when it's very clear that she's dying yes and there is it's a kind of um it's, I suppose it's a flashback scene. It's not one of the film within a film scenes, but it is going back four years to when she passed away and he's kind of looking after her. And there is, there is, it's this kind of whole movement of the film where it's very clear that there's a kind of, this is a coda to her life. So mm. you, know, you kind of wonder, like, it, it just seemed to me that there was a feeling of that around that line of dialogue. You've been a bad son feels like it's she's able to say that in a way because she is not long for this earth and, and as you say it's not a cruel line it's not meant cruelly it's meant in a plain spoken honest way um, but it does feel like it's like it's a line that somehow comes out because she's able to say it because this is kind of wrapping things up for her the interesting thing in terms of Almodovar's entire of is that there's no director I can think of who has spoken his love of his mother more assiduously, you know, and for a longer period of time than Almodovar, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, all about my mother, right? Kind yeah. of, you know, his, his film, his mother appears in, you know, so many of the early ones, you know, and kind of, and mothers are very important. But what's interesting is that fathers in his films are often absent or they've got Alzheimer's or something. I think this is the first film in which you actually see, you know, his father. Uh, represented in a way that is sympathetic, really, you know. So, so, yeah. Uh, mm. So, so, 
he's been a very loving son, and of course, and he's been very successful. But in that conversation, there's a kind of a coded um, tension over his sexuality, right? So because the mother says something, I wanted to move in with you with Madrid, you know, but you, you, you squirmed out of it by, you know, saying that I wouldn't be comfortable there. And he says, oh, well, I was filming and whatever. And basically, it's not the filming that was the issue. It was his sexuality that was the issue. And, and she has this line where she says, I've gotten used to so many things in my life, right? Like I've had to adapt mm. and kind of, you know, I've, I've, I've gotten used to so many things. I'm sure I would have gotten used to anything, <laughs> right? So And he says, I'm sorry I wasn't the son you wanted because of the way I am. Ah, and then that was beautiful, mm. yes. So, you know, I failed you, but I failed you not by what I've done, but just by who I am. Yeah. Yeah, that was lovely, you know, so beautiful. Yeah, very resonant to gay men. You know. I, I, I mean, I'm thinking like the whole way through, whenever, whenever something, there, there were just all these things that popped up. I thought, well, this is a film for Jose. It you is know, not just not just the sexuality, but also but also the setting and and the kind of the, the relationships and the thing. I thought, you know, this is a film. This is no one this speaks to. You. And I did think. Remember, we were talking about animals a little while mm. ago, and you said, oh, "I'm so just so, so tired." Whenever, whenever uh, filmmakers make films about writing or filmmaking, yes. I'm like, "Well, I bet this. I bet you don't feel the same way about." Um, I don't. I don't. <laughs> but also because so many. Th- I mean, because it's not just about filmmaking, right? I mean, so let me just be- before I forget delineate the things that sparked something in me. I mean, first of all. I come from the same background, you know, and actually for years and years and years, one of the things that English critics never got about Almodovar is he caught the words of, you know, Spanish peasants, you know, that, that very particular language, the phraseology, I could, you know, the, the, the words that he puts in his mother's and his sister's and his films, I, you know, my mother says them and my aunt say them, yeah, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all those expansions. I mean, I was talking. I was talking to my father the other day, and he, you know, in the car, we were talking about Brexit, and he said something. Ah, you know, like fear is free. People can have as much of it as they want, right? Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> those are the kinds of things that you often, you know, that often Almodovar's mother or something like I will say in his films, right? Um, or the way that they talk to the neighbors. I mean, you saw, you know, when you came to visit, my mom always goes out of the house and kind of chats with her neighbors at night. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so so you know, the life and the language kind of really resonate with me to very specific terms, in very specific ways. The encyclopedia the child is reading to learn, yeah, and mm-hmm. at school, it's the one I use to learn at school, is the same encyclopedia, right? So it has those resonances. And then there were things like, um, you know, when they mentioned the drugs in, or Madrid in 1981 and so on, right? you know, which was just before AIDS hit, but, you know, which Spain was suffering from drugs because, you know, when, and I remember the period so well, there was, you know, when democracy came in and when censorship was abolished in 1978, people had this feeling that Spain was, you know, completely behind and everything. Yeah, it wasn't modern. Right, and so there was this really quick attempt to catch up. So all the things that people had been for, for, for forbidden it was like the, this thirst to experience them. Right, 
you know, but it all happened immediately. And one of the things that opened up like a Pandora's box was drugs, right? Because, you know, drugs had been forbidden. You know, it wasn't necessarily because they were bad. It was just because Franco was such an evil fascist, right? Mm -hmm. And actually, maybe this inability immediately to distinguish between like heroin and cocaine and grass, right? It's like, you know, so there was like this kind of thirst to experiment and to, to go for what had been previously forbidden. And there was a heroin epidemic. So many people died of heroin in that period, including in my own little village, right? Which you would think would be immune, you know, to the movements in the capital, right? But no, we had drug overdoses. And, uh, uh, and in fact, AIDS due to drug um, you know, people using the same needle in this little tiny village where I'm from, yeah. right? So kind of, you know, all of those things really resonate with me. That's why... You know, sometimes I don't trust myself, you know, uh, because you think, well, you know, is it very meaningful to you or or is it really great? Yeah. You know, and they're not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. Something could be very meaningful to you and yet, you know, being being coherent to someone else or, you know, not touch them in the same way. Um, though I think this I don't is think that's necessarily that, that big a deal. But I think, you know, if, if a film really, really resonates with you in such a specific and meaningful individual way then why does it matter that it's not so great to someone else? Well, but, you know. it, it doesn't if you're just, you know, a civilian. You know, if you're a film critic, it matters. <laughs> you know, you, you, you want to convince other people. You want to you, know, you wanna offer proof. Mm. Yeah, you want to kind of demonstrate why other people who are not you and who don't share your history might nonetheless find this film of importance and of value. Sure. And I think this film does. I mean, if nothing else... You know, just the ease of the narration. I mean, it's an incredibly complex narration, but again, this time it feels easy. So it's not like, you know, uh, um, bad education where you feel like it's like these Petrushka, what do you call Matrushka dolls, one and the other and the other, and, you know, and, th- and, and nothing is told clearly and you, you're asked to interpret, you know. But in this one, it has a similar complexity of technique but the effect is kind of seamless yeah mm. you know you you're not like in bad education wondering how this connects to the other you know yeah is it a story within a story yeah this one is rendered seamlessly and i just think it's kind of an astonishing kind of you know use of technique for this this kind of you know making something very complex seem really fluid this time like it is incredibly fluid, and I was also really impressed with how kind of confident it is to just move on. So when uh, the actor character Alberto is no longer uh, sort of important to the story, he's dropped. The last time we see him is when he's been yes. performing the play. That leads him to reconnect with Federica, and that's the last you see of Alberto. It is, you know, and it's not like he's there just to serve that purpose. There is this purpose about him, uh, kind of Sal- um, Salvador, reconnecting with him and. Uh, kind of thinking about his past and trying to forgive, but ultimately not quite able to, and this all thing. So it's all kind of that's all that's all there. But also, once once it's time to move on, there's no need to force him back into the story. That part of the story's ended. We're moving on to Federico. We're moving on to the painting. It's almost like the Antonio Banderas character. You know, um, so in the present, there are two men. There's the actor whom he thinks failed him and who he's now changed his mind. And there's the lover who he thinks he failed and has disappeared. 
right? And they're connected by addiction. So, you know, uh, um, both of the characters were addicted to heroin, right? Uh, and in fact, there's a kind of an, an element of addiction in that, you know, the film director is addicted to his addict boyfriend, right? So, you know, kind of, there's a, there's a kind of a very, I mean, his screenplays are so fantastic, really, you know, because you can see how, you know, there's all these layers of connection amongst those things, right? But to me, what's interesting is that narrationally, you have, first of all, a flashback into this youth that is maintained throughout, right? So it's always a flashback to the past, right? But the past of him as a child, the same age, yeah? It's a very particular moment of the past. It's just before he's going to go to school, which is something that will distance him. Going to high school is something that will distance him from his family, yeah? Mm. He has a chance at education, at bettering himself that is not available, you know, to people of that class background. Um, but the, the, the character of uh, the director is developed first in relation, you know, to that performance and that actor who he thinks failed. Secondly, to uh, the person he was addicted to who left, right? And lastly, you know, in the film within the film, to this man that was so beautiful that it awakened in him a kind of unconscious sexual desire, you know, that was a, that caused him to faint. Yeah. Mm. And I think kind of those are, do you, yeah? What yeah. do you think? No, I agree. I think... Yeah, I'll, uh, I can't add to that. Okay. <laughs> Good. Um, I have so many things to say and I now forget. I, I, I think it's a really great film. I wanted to talk a little bit or at least think a little bit about the um, the hospital and kind of physicality. Oh, yes, always there yes. in the film. Hospital yes. is always there. Obviously, he, um, his mother ends up in hospital. That's how she ends her life. Despite wanting to go back to her village, he's not able to take her there. But obviously, Salvador is in constant physical pain. And there's this wonderful sequence quite early on where through voiceover, he talks about his maladies and you know, and how everything, his life revolves around uh, his spine since he had surgery on it two years ago. But all these kind of pills he's taking, all these muscle aches and fatigue and things. And it's animated in this almost like Saul Bass sort of stylized yes. animation. Or like, like Saul Bass crossed with... by Juan Gatti. Sorry? I think, I think all of those in the title are by this designer called Juan Gatti. I just want to look him up just to... What's his name? Juan... Gatti. G-A-T-T-I. The Argentinian multi-talented Juan Gatti is generally known as a commercial photographer and graphic designer, often collaborating with film director Pedro Almodovar. His less-known work includes anatomy drawings of human body in combination with the taxonomy of plants and exotic animals. There you go. And this this, this wonderful um, sort of animated thing. And it, it reminded me almost of like sort of music videos from like 2003 or something with these kind of 3D animated skeletons that revolve and just sort of sit there and it's these splashes of colour and things and there's a wonderful shot in it, it where you have these skinless human bodies just muscle yes. and bone yes. kind of arranged uh, and posed like sculptures mm. in an art gallery fantastic and weird <laughs> I think uh, I think they are the work of um, Perez Vialta, yeah? Uh, so you can see some of them here. 
All right. Yeah. It was a very famous Spanish painter. And whom he says in the story, there's a, there's a line in the story, this museum wants to borrow your two Perez Villaltas, and he says no. Ah, right. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, that Perez Villalta was also one of the painters of um, the Movida Madrileña, yeah? So, of that period, yeah, that kind of Almodovar started uh, his first films. So, let me... Yeah, because he says, uh, the character says, um, yeah, I, 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 I can't give him the paintings, I won't give him the paintings, I live with them, they're my friends, he says, or something yes. like that. Yes, he does, that's what he says. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up is um, how important to me it is that this is a film about old people. Mm. So, you know, the reason why he's ill and he's got this problem and he's got that problem and he's taking his pills every day. That's what I wanted to get to, yeah. Yeah, it has to do with... A sense of impending physicality. Yeah. And, like, and the thing about the, uh, the, the uh, ossification, we only find out later it's an ossification of his bone, you think it might be a tumour, but of this thing pressing on his throat... Yes. Um, that kind of is forcing him to he can't even eat. You know, he yes. can barely drink a smoothie, let alone eat anything solid. The idea that his kind of body is is closing in on him. Yes. You know. That's why he's in the pool at the start. He's just he's taking pressure off himself. <laughs> that's right. Um But it's a it's it's a rare film that ha- that deals with old age uh that doesn't actually end up with the death. Um of, of the protagonist and in fact this is a film that is about old age in many many ways that ends up on a on a high note right so a director who's too depressed to do anything who can barely move who can no longer tie his shoes by the end of the film he's made a movie yes right so you know yeah, it is a triumphant shot isn't it right at the end it well it feels that's how it felt to me. It's yeah, like it's, taking, it's like a taking control of his story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, very much a taking control of his story, right? I love so many things about that shot, actually. You know, so for example, little things. I, I mean, I must mention how great Penelope Cruz is. I mean, there's a scene where she's doing the washing, you know, where she kind of just smiles at the woman singing uh, 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 "Atuera." And there's like this incredible radiance about her. She's just such a movie star, really, you know. But then the very last shot, she does this lovely thing where you know there's the clapperboard, the camera pulls back. You see that it's a movie within a within a movie, right? And then as soon as it's clear that the take is over, mm-hmm. yeah, she reaches out to the boy and makes sure that he's okay. Yeah, I thought that was so lovely. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it's triumphant because. Um you know, Salvador got to make a movie with Penelope Cruz. That's right. That's triumphant. <laughs> you can't get any better. <laughs> so, um, I, I've, I've got a million things to, to say, I suppose, but, but I need to think them through more. I think this is the second time I've seen it. I find it deeply moving and very, very beautiful, really, and a lesson to filmmakers. Um, you know, so I was going to say that I can't think of anybody who's writing screenplays better at the moment, right? More purposefully. But I think this is so beyond just the screenplay, right? It is, as I was trying to say earlier, a film in which everything, a camera move, says something. You know, and everything is kind of expressive, right? You know, 
so so those scenes where you know the the um uh uh the the, the actor is doing addiction and he's rehearsing it you know and you go and and it cuts to the seats right and then kind of you know the seats are just you know lines of gold on black right kind of just very beautiful and very expressive and then the storytelling so you know there's a scene where you know Antonio Banderas is has just been told something and he's waiting and then you realize he's waiting at the doctor's office so you know this incredible fluidity of just kind of changing mm-hmm. space right you know that that scene uh, in which um, Alberto performs addiction is I, I would say kind of the cinematic sort of highlight or centerpiece of the film and it's the one that best expresses what you're talking about in that he does start off rehearsing it in front of nobody but fluidly as he's performing it to himself it becomes a performance to an audience the audience shows up yes. and he's kind of moving around and he moves onto these canvases of pure red and pure white and yes, these things lovely. fill the screen in kind of abstract ways yes. And but it, it all happens as you say very very fluidly there's a shot really early on in the film, or cut rather, that struck me as just kind of beautifully timed and, and managed, which was where um, uh, a, a guy in that hotel lobby is playing the piano, and then the camera cuts to his hands, yes. and the camera cuts away, and you see that it's the priest yes. from uh, Salvador's childhood playing the piano. Exactly the same piece, exactly the same, and, I know, and you get through this these two cuts, through this piece of music, he's been taken back to his past. As you say, all of those flashbacks, although I suppose it turns out they're not exactly flashbacks, but but you know that's how that's what they appear to be at least. They are all motivated by by Salvador thinking about his past. Mm. You know, or like it'll cut to one which isn't necessarily motivated, but when it cuts out, you'll see Salvador in a state of kind of meditation or, or thinking. It's, it's it's clearly something he's thinking about. It's not just it's not a story being told, uh, sort of. They're not parallel stories being told. It is a story that is active in his mind, and I think that's exactly how it was in Julieta as well. Mm. Remember that being the way it was in Julieta when you came back from those flashbacks or those extended scenes in the past. It always ended up with Julieta thinking about where she. Yes, was. though you know, I'll have to see Julieta again, but I think this is a much much greater film than Julieta. Um, you know, it's 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 so much well to me. It was so much more affecting. But it's also so much more complex, really. And it's dealing, you know, with so many more issues, you know. So on the one hand, it's about aging. It's about making art and making films. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about Spain in the 50s and Spain in the 80s. It's about regret and love and longing and kind of, you know, re uh, looking at the past. Yeah. Uh, well, I like the way it makes the past alive. Yes. The way it does that. It's exactly. not. It's, it's th- those flashbacks aren't about informing who he is now. No. Not ex- well. Not only that, but they are about the fact that he is thinking about his past. Yes. That's what's important. Yes. I mean, obviously, they're related to who he is now. Yeah. You know, and they're part of his development. You know, but they're, but they're not about who he is now. Yeah, they are about the past, right? And they are about a boy. Right, like you know, it's it, it's not, you know, that boy is not only a reflection on who he is now. He's telling you other things. He's telling you his family is poor, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that you know, 
that that there's the, you know that it's from an illiterate culture where grown people don't know how to how to write or don't know the alphabet and don't know how to do sums. I mean, mm. there's all kinds of things that are being told you know to you as well as what you know uh, as well as about how this boy became this man. Yeah, yeah. and I, I I like the um, I liked how the young Salvador is is advanced. You know, he can read and he can write and he starts teaching the, yes. uh, the guy next door who's, you know, 15, 20 years older. Yes. Um, and teaches him, like, I suppose in that way you're saying there's like no, there's no real father figure in this. Um, he, he, in a way, becomes the father figure <laughs> to yes. that guy. Well, the teacher, him, for sure. Certainly a teacher. He's teaching him like a, like a very strict teacher as well. Yes. Don't hold your pencil like that. Hold it like this. Yes. And he's encouraging. He's very precocious. Yes, you know, and you can see why it's the kind of kid who who grows up to take notes in books. Yes. I don't think you should ever deface a book. Disgusting. Well, I do it all the time. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, um, well, probably. Well, I will certainly kind of write more about all of this at some point. But for now, really, I urge everyone to see it. Uh, it's playing in Birmingham at Cineworld for now. Uh, there's a run uh, uh, at. Um, the electric, um, you know, in the next couple of weeks. So it's a film that will be in town for a little while. Uh, and, you know, to me, it's a great masterpiece. It's very good. I liked it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, um, thank you very if much. He, if, he, if, he, if Pedro Almodovar had been a Birmingham Jew, you know, then maybe I would relate to it more. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I, I've been very surprised about... You know, because it has gotten great reviews, but I have read, you know, especially reviews from younger gay men, and they're respectful, but they're not fully engaged. Yeah, they're not, it's not a love the way I feel it's a love. And actually, I do think that as Almodovar has aged and as his films have become richer and more complex, A, they're, they're more demanding, right? Uh, of an audience they're a great pleasure but they're more demanding and they're certainly more demanding of critics you know because I do think that this is a film which in which certainly a critic you know would 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 appreciate this one a lot more if seen as part of a nerve of an unfolding of really and not just kind of as an individual film and and what and what does Earth mean what's Earth in English the egg <laughs> and, and there's an egg in this. <laughs> the, 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 uh, it's not the same to say work as to say of. Yeah. yeah. Body of work. The body of work, I suppose. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. Jolly good. Okay. So, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And uh, on social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Cheerio.